This is the Passion Lands Lotta Team podcast, the top producing real estate team from New York City to the Hamptons. We bring you content week in and week out on all things real estate, finance, and lifestyle. Enjoy. Mike Pesh, we are back. What's up, Ron? How are you? Back in, back in the game. Second straight week. We're going to stick to this. I love consistency. I love a schedule. You've got that re- that repeat in your calendar. Yes. You're all about that. <laughs> my calendar is loaded up. If you open up my calendar and you look at the full month, mm-hmm. there's just there's a dot on every single day. That may, Does that give you anxiety or make you feel good? If I, So when we open up the calendar, like every Sunday night, I'll go into my calendar and I'll look at it. Or the day before, always. Mm-hmm. If I see, because it, it, in my calendar, it's all purple. Mm-hmm. Everything's color-coded. Anything yeah. that's personal is green. Like if I have a doctor's appointment, I'll put it in there in green. Anything team-related is purple. And when I see of just purple and they're all listing appointments, I get a slight, I get, I get anxious because <laughs> I need to know where I got to go and I got to be right. and you and I have to talk and it gets, it gets, I get, I get anxious. I don't know. About my, my, it's funny. My calendar is the exact opposite. Pur- Purple is personal. Green is the team. The team. But no, I like it. When I see a busy calendar, I love it. But yeah. when I see an empty calendar, I love it too. I love it both ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. looking at, I guess just looking at a calendar makes me the, happy. The empty calendar just can't stay empty for too long. That's the problem. No. Exactly. Because then yeah. we're in trouble. But this weekend, you had a busy open house. You had right. offers. We were just talking about it before the podcast got started. Right. It's an interesting thing because uh, I actually heard this get brought up. Uh, waving. Basically, we're, we're, so, I mean, it's a whole subject, right? It's a whole subject matter of we're in a, we're in a market. We discussed it last week where there's no inventory. Mm-hmm. Every property that gets listed, especially if it's in a conventional loan amount, uh, which I think in New York just got raised. Do you know what that number is? No, I don't know what number Jumbo starts. Might be like 650, hmm. but I'm not 100% sure. You know what? I don't like Google this. But while you're Googling, so we did the open house. This, this house, this is the typical market how it is nowadays. Uh, $610,000 listing price. In, in your average neighborhood on Long Island, we listed it. Um, the first week, we had nine showings during the weekday, and then we had the open house on the weekend. And we had like another nine or 10 parties through the open house. Dude, take a wild guess of what the conventional loan limit is. So for reference, when I bought my first house, mm-hmm. a conventional loan limit was, I think, $417,000. I think I bought my first house. I was 20, I was 25. So that's nine years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, it was 2011, 417000 Take Because I remember having to put down... It was a five hundred thousand dollar house. Mm-hmm. I had to put down a hundred grand to be within a conforming limit. Six fifty. No. Seven thirty five. They just raised it, dude. It's crazy high. What's the number? Eight hundred twenty two thousand three hundred and seventy five dollars. That's Look a lot of money. That's the loan amount. That the loan amount. So basically, in New York now, when you're buying. You could buy a million dollar home. A million dollar home, you could buy it in a conform within a conforming limit. According to that. According to that. I mean, we might have, to, might have to check that, but that's insane. That's that's high. That's very high. That's wild. I didn't realize it was that. We'll have high. to ask someone why why like what's the 
What's the reason they put it at different numbers? What's the pros lower and cons? Interest. So it's lower interest. Once you go from a conventional limit to a jumbo, I think the interest rate goes up. Right. But I'm saying who sets that and why would they change it? Just like the whole thing behind it. I don't know anything about that. It's, it's, it's done by county. Mm-hmm. I know that because Nassau and Suffolk County, you have to look it up online. But it, that, that's, that's high. That's a big loan, too. That basically means they want people taking out million-dollar mortgages. I mean, just what was it? What was the number? 822. It says $822,375. All right. So if we pull up a mortgage calculator. 2021, and this is for Nassau County. So if we just do an $820,000 loan. And if we were to buy a duplex, a million fifty-three. Yeah, so just an eight hundred and twenty thousand dollar loan over a thirty year fixed mortgage at three percent is that's thirty five hundred a month just for your mortgage payment. Forget any taxes or insurance or anything. Let's text let's text Derek. Let's let's check ourselves here. Derek. What's a convention? That's a big payment though. Yeah. But you know, people coming from the city, like we have friends like Dave who's in the city, and uh, I mean there are people paying the city paying five thousand plus a month just for rent so if those people are moving to the island right for them this number they go buy a million dollar house they isn't that conventional sick loan. though isn't that sick that that in nine years i mean when i bought my house for five hundred thousand dollars i thought like i thought i, I thought i'd like made it 10 years like 14 now it's like years nothing years. now it's like <laughs> pennies i know it's pennies i know that is so crazy that's wild so anyway the whole subject matter of getting getting your offer accepted and what some some realtors are doing uh, in an effort to basically get their offer accepted mm-hmm. in this extremely competitive market where you list a property and you have a line at the door and mm-hmm. five offers later and you're, you're presenting right. to your seller you know five six seven offers that next Monday night and the house is gone so. You're a listing agent. You've seen a lot. We've got a lot of people on our team. We've, we've represented buyers, sellers, right? There's, there's a few people on our team that do this really well. What are the best practices for getting an accepted offer in a market like this to stand out above everyone else's? So, uh, so just talking from, so I was a listing agent. This house we're talking about over the weekend, we got 14 offers. So I will tell you the they, I think every offer, 13 of them came through another agent. There was only one offer that, that was unrepresented, buyers unrepresented. So just the, just the way the agent communicates okay. either made me feel comfortable or uncomfortable. So the agents that sent me an email offer mm-hmm. that was included in that email offer, an actual, an actual sales agreement, uh, had the MLS listing attached, had pre-approval attached, had lead paint attached, like had all the had uh, New York State disclosure attached. The agents that sent me all that stuff it attached, the organized people, right, so and then know. texted me, "Hey, I sent you an offer. It had everything. Like that. Was, all right, this I feel good about this. This agent clearly knows what they're doing. They're giving me all the right documentation, right? And what is that? What is that? It, it foretells what a smooth transaction, right? It's you right? want to know that the agent on the other side of the deal is experienced and knowledgeable and just ha- altogether has their shit together. Yeah. There was there was one agent who texted me, you know, like the offer written on a napkin, took a picture and sent me the picture and was like all over the place and like that agent right there, 
they, you know, I presented cool. her buyer's offer, and her buyers had a, a pretty good offer. It wasn't the best offer anyway, but right there, had the sellers wanted to accept that offer, you know, I probably would have given my two cents. Like, listen, I just, it. yeah, th- this, you know, I don't know if I feel that comfortable with this agent. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, you know, obviously there's a lot that has to go into the deal coming together from inspection, just negotiating a little details and having a competent agent on the other side of the deal definitely helps. Right. So the organi- the organization of the offer, how it's presented, um, what, 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 is in that email if there's follow-up if they have a conversation with you right Mm -hmm. so so it and it again i agree with you it foretells a smooth transaction someone who's going to work with you to get the deal over the line um and then just a competent offer beyond that so right so obviously someone who who lays out the purchase price how much down on contract how much is being financed how much down at closing Mm -hmm. uh and any other terms of the deal when they want to close if they have if the buyers have any contingencies such Mm -hmm. as a house to sell anything like that you want all those terms any offer that's that's missing any of those terms obviously is not ideal tell me a little bit about how you feel about certain lenders that buyers have so I like the lenders personally. I like a lender. I don't care who the lender is. There's certain lenders I know that that take a very long time to get a mortgage. So I'll be hesitant. Mm-hmm. But most most lenders are pretty good. I don't like personally when I get like a Wells Fargo um, or a big Chase Bank or something because when I call, it's usually like an 800 number or something. Like I call, I can't get in touch with. It's someone in quick like an loan, office like a, somewhere. Like, like a quick and loan. Right. I like when there's like a person, like a local mortgage bank or a local mortgage broker where, I, where they have their cell phone written. I could call their cell phone. I could say, hey, have you already collected all this person's documentation? Have you checked their credit score? Have you mm-hmm. checked their asset to income ratio? Has their employment history, right? And like I have their cell phone and they can like answer all that. Like some of these big banks... They're just reluctant to talk about for certain things. It's again, it's like a, more of just a telephone, like order taker, or processor on the other line. That I don't like. See, for me, it's it's the in-house underwriting department is the biggest thing, right? Mm-hmm. So when you when you have that conversation with the lender, right, and you say to them, "Look, did you actually run the credit? Have you seen their financials? Mm-hmm. Are are they you know are they stable? Do they do they make plenty of money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Because a lot of people just throw a pre-approval out there without ever actually having seen a lot of these very important documents, which mm-hmm. they need to collect, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, remember we we've actually gotten a fake um, yes. pre-approval yes. that yeah. one time, and the guy lost. The, I think he still lost that. He had like one hundred eighty thousand in earnest money. He lost <laughs> anyway. In-house underwriting department. Why is that important? It's important because when, when you're in the middle of a deal, there's so many reasons that we would have to be able to crack a whip to get a deal moving, right? So, I mean, if, if we need an appraisal, if we need to figure out where the title is, if we need to figure out any one of these scenarios, right? Where's the file? Did it make it to underwriting? Do they have their loan commitment yet? There's a lot of different, a lot of different updates that need to be had in the process. And mm-hmm. right now, actually, I have a buyer who, they, I don't even know what this company is, but it's somewhere in Texas. <clears throat> for me to get someone on the phone, for me to have a, a conversation with someone to figure out where the deal is, is torture. Right. Absolute torture. And it's not even the bank that the buyer originally um, went with when they went into contract. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing I could have done about it. I actually did have a conversation with the loan officer that they were originally with and now they've switched. But 
it makes for a very difficult convoluted transaction. It might come down to the wire and there's really not much you could do about it because the attorneys agreed on a specific close date. The buyer technically has all that time to shop around for a mortgage. They could go wherever they want. Um, but that, yeah, definitely making sure or, or disclosing to uh, the listing agent in your offer that, you know, this is the bank. There's an in-house un, you know, underwriting department. Um, we'll be able to definitely, you know, track the deal as it, as it goes along. We'll be able to troubleshoot if need be. We'll have our answers immediately. We'll be able to move on. Definitely, definitely a big pro. Um, how do you feel about, because this also gets me sometimes. So someone comes to see a house, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the listing agent. When they... When, when when the agent connects with me mm-hmm. uh, on a business and personal level and I like them more, sometimes I feel more apt to give them the business too. Do you agree? Like yes. if, if I'm the agent and I can and I come in and I do an open house with you and I don't even look in your direction. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been in showings where you would think the you know the agent the agent was completely aloof you know their 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 mind is either somewhere else or, or they think who they are on, on some level and they're not giving you the time of day nothing and then I've been on showings where you know the other agent is very you know engaged in both the buyer and the seller and the listing agent and they're interacting and it just it feels like a better transaction. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I, I understand what you're saying. The reality is is that in any real estate transaction, there's a lot of fine points that have to be negotiated and agreed upon. And there's a lot of things that could come up that have to have to be negotiated. And and a lot of times attorneys, right? Attorneys job, you know, some attorneys are happy to negotiate fine points and some attorneys are not. Some attorneys are you know, it's like, this is it, take it or leave it. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to know. And same thing with buyers and sellers. You have buyers and sellers that, you know, each want to negotiate the best deal for themselves. So it's good to know that the agent on the other side of the deal is competent and and able to resolve the negotiations. Normal real estate agent walks in, does their lap, leaves. Mm-hmm. Then Diana Hyotis walks in. Right. Someone who... She she just can't stop talking. Mm-hmm. She's fun. She's boisterous. She she'll make you laugh. Right? It's it's a memorable person. And then when they come back to you with an offer, it, it's that much more welcomed. And here's the other thing: coming back for a second showing with buyers, mm-hmm. showing that the buyers are interested. Right? Sometimes buyers come in, they see a house. If they really want it, come back with their parents. Yes, I hate when the when the parents come back. Don't let the parents give their two cents. But to come back with with parents just for the sake of showing that there is a heightened interest in the home that you know, as the listing agent, if I see someone come in, do a lap, leave, and then I get an offer from them later on that night, they probably put an offer on five houses. Mm-hmm. If I see a couple come in, then leave, then come back with their parents. Mm-hmm. And they're walking around the house and they're getting mommy and daddy's approval, which mm-hmm. we see all the time if it's a young couple. Or even if it's not a young couple, if it's an older couple that just comes back a second time. Let's say they, they bring back their kids and they, the kids start picking out the mm-hmm. bedrooms. You know they're more engaged in that house. Right. They really want it. Mm-hmm. So then you as the listing agent, 
whether you even know it or not, and you're presenting the offer to your seller, you sort of have a bias towards those people because you feel more comfortable with the fact that they are going to buy this house, whereas the other guy who's, who probably has an offer on three different houses that he saw that day might, might you know, rescind his offer and move forward with, some, with, with the, other, the other house. Right. That he saw that. Day. Well, it's okay. important to feel a situation out and have a feel for the situation. In this market, there's a lot of buyers who are putting offers in on multiple houses, and if one gets accepted, they're then rescinding the other offers. There's buyers who are just putting offers in uh, just so that they might have the option to be in the game, and then if they, as they think about it, they decide they don't want it, then the, then they'll rescind the offer. So yes, you definitely mm-hmm. have to have a feel for the situation, knowing the dynamics in the market we're in, knowing knowing where buyers are at. I don't blame what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'd probably do it too if I was a buyer, right? Um, and just being able to understand, okay, you know, this, this offer, I don't feel so good about this offer. These buyers are solid. They're mm-hmm. serious. They, they're definitely engaged. I mean, it all matters. It all has to be taken into Let account. Let me ask you this. A lot, a lot of real estate agents, they, they, they find their buyer via internet or what have you, right? Because that, that's how real estate agents are buying leads these days. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you meet a buyer for the first time mm-hmm. in this market. How do you get a, someone you've met f- just for the first time to put in offers, $25,000, dollars $75,000 over the ask? It's, it, it's just a, it's a sales conversation. I think one of the things that I love, which goes back to the, um, the uh, Jordan Belfort training that we do, is just mm-hmm. establishing yourself as a professional right off the bat. So one thing that helps greatly with that, as you know, is just presenting some data, presenting data to any buyer or seller on the market right out the gate, just having a conversation, right? Okay, you're a buyer. Nice to meet you. Um, you know, have you just started looking where you at in the process? Yes, I just started looking. You know, great. Let me tell you, tell you a little bit about what's going on in the market right now and mm-hmm. presenting them some data, whether it be median sales price for the county or whatever it is, just some data and some numbers immediately establishes you as a professional it gains it gives you credibility mm-hmm. and right away it makes it just makes your client feel comfortable okay this this is a professional who knows what they're talking about so mm-hmm. i think that right away helps um and once you establish that credibility with your client from there everything becomes a lot easier because now they trust you as a professional they trust you as they would trust their attorney or their accountant they know you like you trust you exactly so i think it's just it's just a sales process but definitely establishing yourself as a knowledgeable expert right off the bat helps mm. still though to go into a, a deal and put in an offer of fifty thousand dollars i mean of those how many deals did you say you had this weekend we had 14 offers how many over ask uh there were three under ask i think three at at ask and the rest were over ask oh, okay so three under ask the the numbers are flipped you understand it should be three over ask three at ask the rest below ask. In a normal real estate mm-hmm. market, that would be the situation. But it is funny. There's one offer that came in forty thousand under ask, but and it was represented by an agent. And I was just laughing, like, like yeah. you have to know. Yep, you you must have no idea what you're doing, or just be brand new as a, as an agent and a buyer to to do that because you got to know. Like, there's no shot. There's no shot. But in this market, like, the the. Like you said, they have to be brand new. They haven't, or their buyer. But that might be a perfect example of a buyer who just hasn't been worn out yet. Not worn out, or there are some buyers. I mean, some people. There were actually a few because this is a first-time home buyer home, just the location, the price point, everything. Mm-hmm. 
And there were a few buyers that came in with their parents. And you could tell the parents, you know, they're walking around and they think they're buying. It's, it's 1980 and they're buying a house, mm. right? Like this one guy said to me, he's like, you know, the stoop has a couple cracks. So they're going to take care of that. And I politely told him no, but like in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm like, what are you fucking crazy? Like, do you know what's going on in this market? Someone it's else, not, it's tend- not 1980. Yeah. Interest rates are not 17%. Like this is like, take it or leave it, yeah, buddy. The, 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 there's 10 other people in line that will pay And these, above these, po- these poor house. kids, it's, they're probably never going to find a house or it's going to take them at least six months because they have these parents who are yeah. who just don't know what they're doing and they're steering them in the wrong direction. I mean, I think the parents mean well, but I don't think they understand what they're what, what what's going on today. I mean, everybody I talk to feels like they're they're paying they're overpaying for something that isn't worth what they're paying for. I mean, right, they, but that was the case that four house, years ago. That house in Wanto you sold. Mm-hmm. It does it need a complete renovation? No, the ha- the house is beautiful. It's great. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So that was very, very. That that's a good price point then. No, it doesn't need any work. If someone wants to put in some like new flooring on the second floor, they can. But other than that, I mean, it's really the house how, is it's how, turnkey. When, when was the kitchen renovated? Two thousand eighteen. Wow, bathrooms. Uh, bathrooms not two thousand eighteen, but they're they're fine. They're in good condition. Yeah. See the see, but the, the thing is, if the, if their neighbor went up for sale, same house, and it was twenty years dated, they'd probably get the same number. The reason, yeah, th- this house, this house was mostly redone in 2018 and it looks, and it looks, they did a nice job. So that's why, that's why there was the interest there was. Interesting. But yeah. Interesting. We'll see because we are going to have a listing coming soon in Massapequa that is original to like 1980s. Uh-huh. So it'll be like, an, and it's like similar price point, 670. So it's, we can compare if that flies just like, cause this I was think it'll go just as fast. It probably will. It probably will. Yeah, I mean, my neighbor, my neighbor just put their house up for sale in Dix Hills. Mm-hmm. It's severely underpriced, and there's been there's been like a parade down my street for the past week and a half. So, yeah, so I'm sure they're gonna have an acceptable and that's offer a, this that's, week. That's just on, it's listed at I think just under eight hundred thousand dollars. They have to have an accepted offer, but there's a lot of work that goes into a house like mm-hmm. that because whoever buys something like that's gonna probably knock it down, clear the lot, and build something. Right now, if, if I if I had to make you now everything's situational, so I hate when people put it to you know put it to me and like all right, just give me one way or the other because it always depends. There's nothing that's absolute. But what do you think is a better move right now? Buy a house that's turnkey, newly renovated, or buy a house that that you gotta you gotta do all the work to. So there is a lot that goes into that. In general, I know what I think. Let me give you my thought while you think about it. Or go so, ahead. all right. My, my opinion is this. Can I buy the house? Do I have enough money to buy the house, live somewhere else, and build it myself mm-hmm. on a dirt lot? Or am I buying something that's old and renovating it? And then, and or, because that's different to me than going into a builder's special, like a spec house and buying a spec house. No, no, no. So you're buying a house that's that's renovated, done nicely, or something that is it everything I want, or is it still ten to fifteen percent of the house that I want to make my own? No, it's turnkey. Maybe like maybe you wanted, uh, you know, an office doesn't have an office, but everything it has, you love and is done right. You know what I mean? Then I would probably go that route just because it's easier. I agree. At this stage in my life, but I'm in the middle of a construction. Dude, construction is torture. It's well, hell, hell on earth. Yes. Uh, 
my whole house is renovated. Mm-hmm. Half of my house is in a pod. Mm-hmm. We, we're getting rid of so many things that we've just collected over the years of being in a house and living together and raising a family between toys and what have you. It's not easy. I haven't slept in my own bedroom in six months. I'm sleeping on my, my, my whole bedroom sets in like the back you know, living room. Mm-hmm. So it's living through construction is tough if you can't move out or if you don't move out. We chose not to move out. We didn't think it would get as big as it did, but it did. It got that big. And that's sort of what happens. You know? It always gets bigger. It always gets bigger. But the one thing about buying turnkey that I'm not too keen on is taxes. The situation that I just described to you mm-hmm. results in the highest tax payment. Right. And taxes on Long Island are ridiculous. Now, if you could go into a house that you plan on being in for the next 20, 25 years, mm-hmm. got renovated and live there and maybe not report all the improvements that you're doing to the town, you could live in a house for a lot less money in the end. Yeah. But builders' materials today are off the charts. That's why. So I used to be of the opinion that buy, you know, buy something that needs to get fixed up. You'll get a better deal. You'll end up getting better value. But now, yeah, now because of the fact all these builders are so busy, and because all of the inventory and supplies Derek, are Derek confirmed eight hundred and twenty-two thousand three hundred seventy-five dollars. Jeez. But the uh, yeah, basically the the, the material costs uh, are the material costs right now are crazy high, and these builders are so busy that it just takes them a long time to complete the project, and they're all over. In my opinion, it's better to buy turnkey. You're done. You can move in. You can enjoy it. There's no headaches. Maybe you pay a little bit of a premium, but mm. it's worth it, just given the time and headaches you'd have to deal with the renovation. So lumber, lumber right now, the price of lumber. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's like double for a piece of plywood. It's one thousand one hundred and fifty-seven point fifty. It was. It looks like it was like hanging around three fifty to four hundred. So it's three times expensive, right? To build now, how does that how does that affect how does that affect new builds moving forward? They said the average. Uh, there's an article in the paper. The average. Cost for like a, and this is national average, so Long Island's even more because obviously building costs are probably much less, or not probably, they are much less nationally. But the average cost, I think it was for a 2,000 square foot home, is $30,000 more expensive just because of the labor, the increased, uh, not the labor, just because of the increased um, lumber costs right now. Mm -hmm. $30,000 more. And then it was a smaller home, it's still like $19,000 more just in lumber versus what it was, I think, pre pandemic. So that's just lumber to frame it. Now you're talking about other supplies too. All the other supplies. They're, you know, shingles. And labor because all these all these construction companies are so busy, they don't really have to negotiate much. You know, you kind of have to pay the price you want. And they're also it's just it, just to finish the job. You know, if you get one of these guys, very few guys start a job and stay there till finish. They just can't because of the business model because they need cash flow. So, right? So usually they'll take a little deposit when they start. And they mm-hmm. get paid rest when they finish. Well, if they start a job, it's going to take two months. They can't afford to have no cash flow for two months. So they got to go start a new job to get some new cash flow. And so they start a new job, get the new cash flow, and now they have two unfinished jobs. 
Then you have to start a third job to get more cash flow. So you have three unfinished jobs. So they're just now they're bouncing around between unfinished jobs, continually starting new jobs, and they never finish. Yeah, and then there's all the other things that these these people have to pay now with workman's comp and all that stuff uh, for for someone doing doing uh, hard labor is is very high, right? Because of all the lawsuits, but it's actually I heard a story. I have to I have to look this up. I'm going to get it wrong, but I was talking to an accountant on a listing appointment about this two weeks ago, and we're having a conversation, and we started to talk about the cost, exactly the same conversation. It was about the cost of building today and workman's comp and what it costs for labor and everything, and he said to me, the politicians in Albany, the reason workman's comp is so high in New York is the politicians in Albany found out that some company that was somehow attached to the state of New York had like $250 billion in some kind of insurance fund. Mm -hmm. And New York State said, found out the money was there and they went and they took the money, all of it, every penny out. And they, they then turned around and said, okay, now everyone's got to take out a policy. It, something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, is the reason the the cost of labor is so high and the cost of workman's comp is so high, it has something to do with policymakers in New York, po politicians in Albany. They literally stole money from some kind of fund that was well funded and it did not need to mm -hmm. have some kind. Of, it didn't need. It, it didn't need to be like this. And and now it's being passed down to the actual construction worker uh, and business owner. I believe it. Yeah. As with most things, right? So, the whole so thing. That's, so, as far as getting getting everything, getting getting offers accepted, agent communication organized, clear, concise offers. Yeah, right? clear, clear, concise terms. Both yeah. communicated through email and over the phone. Yes, text. Yep. Follow up over the phone. A lender should be an in-house. Underwriting should have an in-house underwriting team. I like when I see whoever the lender or bank is. I have a sell to call. I like when there's a sell. I how do you how one. do you how do you feel about the lender also calling the listing agent proactively to say I like hey. that house we just sold in Hicksville. The lender called me and she was on point. She's mm -hmm. like she she ran me through everything. She was like texting me and I'm like this is great. That's like this. I felt so comfortable with the deal. I'm like between the agent and the lender. Like th these buyers, this is going to close. It's not going to be an issue. These people, are, they have a team around them that's on top of shit. Mm -hmm. And then the other two things were the buyer showing true interest, maybe coming mm -hmm. back a second time, bringing other people in their life who matter to them, their mm -hmm. opinion, which you know everyone's got that when they're but when they're when they're purchasing a house like this. And then uh, the third is the the agent, you know, engagement and communication between you and and the buyer's agent. Now. Ultimately, what this is all doing for you that, that I'm seeing here or that, 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 you know, the conclusion that I'm coming to is in the end, it just makes you more sure that together you're going to be able to get the ball over the goal line. Correct? Correct. Yeah. Because listen, deals, you get accepted offers that don't make it a contract for whatever reason, for, for a dozen reasons. You get, you get deals in contract that fall out of contract. And if you haven't had that happen, you just haven't sold enough houses yet. So knowing these two things, it's important that, yes, all this is checked off because you want to feel very, very confident the deal's actually going to close. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we're bringing assurance to our listing agents. That's how we're getting uh, accepted offers in today's market. Now, 
Shifting gears, let's talk about Bitcoin. Okay, because it seems like there's real estate giants now accepting Bitcoin for rent and payments. What are your thoughts there? Uh, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin in general? I, I go back and forth. So I guess I go back and I'll, I'll explain it. I guess the reason I'm right now kind of pro Bitcoin is because I think it's it, everything always is always progressing. Technology is always progressing. So it's like the infancy of digital currency. So I do think digital currency is going to become more and more prevalent just as time goes on. I mean, if you think about what the world is going to look like 2,000 years from now, you'd have to be living in a cave or just an idiot to think that like digital currency is not going to have a bigger, just a bigger prevalence, right? I also, the fact that it's decentralized, mm -hmm. like the more things become politically fucked up in this country, I think, okay, a de something that's decentralized, like that's going to grow in popularity. So for those two reasons, I'm very pro-Bitcoin. The reason I'm I'm, uh, I'm hesitant about Bitcoin mm -hmm. is because, all right, let's right now, everyone's doing good. You're not everyone's doing good, but the, the, the stock markets, you know, housing, number, asset prices are going up. Houses are going up. Stock, stock market's going up, uh, right? Everyone's feeling pretty good about the economy. But what happens when shit hits the fan, right? When the stock market crashes, when housing prices crash, when the economy crashes and everyone starts pulling their money out of everything, I have to think Bitcoin's like the first thing people are going to pull their money out of because they're like, okay, what can I do with this? And you really can't, even though, all right, maybe you could pay some rent, buy a Tesla, a few other things. Like, it's like, all right, this is, now that everything's crashed, Bitcoin is something of the least value. And if you need money, that's probably one of the first places you're going to take it from. Yeah, definitely. So I'll read what, uh, what the, the, the landlords think. It says, Rick Caruso's real estate company is making long-term bet on the growth of cryptocurrency. The company announced this week that it will start accepting Bitcoin as a form of rent payment at its residential and retail properties. We believe that cryptocurrency is here to stay. Caruso, founder and CEO of Caruso, told CNBC's Power Lunch program. We believe that Bitcoin is the right investment for us. We've allocated a percentage of what would normally go into the capital markets into Bitcoin. Um, he goes on to say, I believe Bitcoin and cryptocurrency will play an important role in our collective future and working with Gemini will. So Gemini is the trading platform that the Winklevoss twins, the, yep. guys, the guys who got screwed out of Facebook years ago, created, who just became billionaires, I saw, by the way, from Bitcoin. Uh, we envision a myriad of opportunities where we could work better to engage our guests and enhance their experience on properties like introducing blockchain-enabled rewards and enabling cryptocurrency payments partnering with Gemini on consumer applications will bring endless opportunity, uh, endless options, but we will also see uh, a future for how this technology will bring people together. See, I, I'm not bullish on Bitcoin at all, and I'll explain my opinion. Go ahead. My opinion is you can't tell me that the governments of the world are going to relinquish power to digital currency. And especially more than almost more than anybody china china's worked so hard to become the preeminent superpower of the world behind america mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of articles talking about how in five years about 2028 china is going to overtake the u.s as the largest 
government, largest economy. economy in the world, right? Do you really think with them on the verge of being able to do that in some capacity that they're going to allow Bitcoin to take their position as the world's reserve currency or I just, I don't see, I don't see cryptocurrency being a thing too much longer. I could be totally wrong. And I, I, I actually listen a lot to uh, Jordan Belfort. Jordan Belfort talks about how it's one of the most manipulated currencies because of the float. And he's very interesting because this guy, if anyone knows about manipulating stock, it's, it's, it's Jordan Belfort. What he talks about is, you know, you've got this pie, right? You got this big pie of Bitcoin, and this is all the Bitcoin out there. And right now, what's trading is a very small slice of that pie. Let's Mm say 10% of Bitcoin, right? So that leaves someone owns all of this, 90% of it. Mm -hmm. And because the float, which is the tradable portion of Bitcoin, is only this little sliver, it leaves so much to be able to be sold off out of this big pie for the rest of it all to drop. Mm-hmm. And it's pure manipulation. It's being driven up because only a small small piece of the full pie is actually being offered out to the public. So, I think what we're going to see is we are at some point going to see a pullback. And when we see that pullback, this bigger piece of the pie is going to get smart. They're going to know when that's going to happen, and they're going to sell their sliver off. And it's going to make, you know, instead of ten percent being available to the public maybe 40% will be available to the public and that'll drive prices down. Right. And then people will literally go, pe- people will lose their shirts. I mean, my father owns Bitcoin. <laughs> my father's a 65-year-old guy. He does not know, he barely knows, he's one of those people that talks into his iPhone. He doesn't really even know how to text. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, what, does he, what, how, how, does, how did that happen? His broker got him into some fund um there's a fund that tracks it hold on it's like an it's like the uh, s&p for for yes, digital currency yes exactly yeah. exactly and it's complete nonsense um hmm. i think it's btc I don't know, but ultimately it comes down to. So, is the primary reason you think? If the primary reason is because I think it's allow it, I think the governments won't allow it because the it, listen. What's the one thing governments hate more than anything? Not paying your taxes, or tax evasion, right? But then it comes down to the philosophical question: Who has the power, the people or the government? Government. And you think in the United States that's true? When it comes to currency, government. And that it's a it's listen. It's great in theory to think that the people could take back currency, but mm-hmm. we can't. I mean, well, the, the inter- government the internet allow the, you to do the that. Governments made gold illegal once, right? People used to walk around with gold, and actually buy things mm-hmm. with gold. Like here's a gold nugget, here's a silver nugget, precious metals. They outlawed it but for the, fiat currency. The internet's connected the whole world. It's given given people so much access to information. And the ability to just be independent. I don't see how they could control it. They could try. Unless the people can control law and jails and decide who can and cannot be arrested. Look at the guy from Silk Road. The guy from Silk Road is serving like five, like 10 life sentences. Mm-hmm. And like the next guy in line 
with to him, like the person who was just as equally guilty, got like he got like two or three years. Uh, the government they made can an control exam- it, but they made an example because the Silk Road was run on Bitcoin, right? And illegal activity. They can control it till they can't, though. Gets to a, like a tipping point. I don't know. Even right now, Bitcoin does not actually have any intrinsic value because I, you can't you can't really go buy anything except well, for a Tesla yes, that's car. Why I think as soon as, and right now, while the economy is doing well, at least on paper, once once it all crashes and people want their money, it's one of the first places they're going to go. That's, yeah, exactly. But uh, I just wonder. I, I'm curious what I don't know the answer. What's the lo- what's the oldest currency in the world? Like in throughout history, what's the gold. longest the currency has lasted? Gold. Besides gold, like uh, f- like fiat currency, like paper currency. Every fiat, as I understand it, every fiat-driven society ended up with hyperinflation like Venezuela. And then a new currency comes around. Yeah. So the dollar, I mean, just based on history, that there's going to be something after the dollar. At some point, it's going to be a digital currency. China already launched a digital yuan. Right. And that's, that's just, that's one step closer to decentralized But when you think currencies. about it, the dollar is essentially digital at this point you look at your bank account it's just numbers on a screen there's actually not enough paper dollars to support not, exactly <laughs> yeah the, i think there's like last i checked it was on that that ray dalio economic machine thing mm-hmm. i think there was like 60 trillion dollars in circulation and i think two and a half of it was paper money yeah so we're essentially so we're ready we're, we're take, but we're slowly getting to the point where the you know i don't know if the government knows what it's doing, right? They So China's going to create a digital currency to, to potentially prevent, but they're just getting us one step closer to real digital currency. Like it's going to get to the point where they can't, it becomes so big they can't control but it. But is Bitcoin? I don't know if it's Bitcoin. It'll be something. Eventually the, 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 uh, the reserve currency of the world, would you argue this? At some point, the reserve currency of the world will be a digital currency. It, it might not be in our lifetime. I'm not going to argue that, but I, what I will say is that it will 100% be government, government, control, yeah. government controlled. But I, I heard, uh, I don't know if this is true, I heard a rumor that the U.S. government is actually the largest holder of Bitcoin. No. Yes, I heard. Google it. No way. I heard a rumor. If that's true, then like... U.S. government, largest. Hold on. No, you know who's, who the, is large, the, you know who's the largest holder of Bitcoin? Who? Some computer geek who who bought $10,000 in Bitcoin when it was worth point oh 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 one. Who is the largest holder of Bitcoin? That's Satoshi, whatever his name is, probably. Hmm. Does it say anything about the U.S. government? No, I didn't see anything. Hmm. All right, maybe it was just it was just wrong. I I did hear that somewhere. I also saw yesterday that there's been more money pumped into the stock market over the last five months than in the last twelve years. Yeah, that, how about that? <laughs> that can't end well. That can't end well. No. It's just, it, it, we're gonna have some kind of a we're gonna have some kind of a serious serious meltdown at some point in the future. Anyway, on to the next story. So it's uh, the U.S. government owns 69,814 Bitcoin. How many? Uh, 69,814. That's pretty wild. Primarily through asset forfeitures in legal cases. I don't know what that means. I don't know. 
Mortgage rates. Mortgage yes. rates dip after weeks on the rise. So uh, the 30-year fixed mortgage averaged 3.13% this week, a welcomed drop for many home buyers who may be closely watching the rising borrowing costs over the last few weeks. After moving up for several consecutive weeks, mortgage rates have dropped due to the recent modest decline of the U.S. Treasury yields, said Sam Cater, Freddie Mac's chief economist. As the economy recovers, it should experience a strong rebound of labor market combined with these uh, positive signals will continue to bolster purchase demand. The drop in rates creates yet another opportunity for those who have not refinanced to take a look at the possibility. So, I mean, that's pretty wild. The 30-year fixed uh, was last year this time at 3.33%. We know that it dropped down to like two and a few eighths. Mm-hmm. as of September, and then we've seen a trend of it rising, which is not good for housing. And we, we felt like that was um, being done intentionally to kind of slow the market down a little bit, at least to slow refinances down because everyone and their mother refinanced when, when interest rates were that low. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's good, though. It's good. Cheap money is good. If, if they raised rates, it w- everything would come to a screeching halt. To a certain point. Yeah, I think you could raise it to a little bit. You know, it can go to three, three and a quarter, I think is fine. Once you start hitting three and a half percent and up from there, then yes, I think it's definitely going to, it would be like a repeat of, uh, I think it was winter 2018. 2000, yeah, when when the, when the market started to crash mm-hmm. with Trump in there. Um, this is interesting. Vaccines and stimulus are fueling seller optimism. Right. So we, we had a conversation last week uh, in 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 talks uh, we talked about how we've been going on listing appointments and people aren't wearing the masks anymore mm-hmm. well this this article uh you know reinforces that idea that we've seen um americans are more upbeat about the idea of selling particularly as the vaccine rollout continues and the latest round of stimulus checks are distributed that could come as hope news as hopeful news as many markets uh, face severe housing shortages and buyers are increasing increasingly being left with few choices of homes for sale. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the stimulus, obviously all this printed money is going to send asset prices up. So anyone who buys a house right now probably feels good about it, knowing that the value of that property is going to go up as we experience a little bit of inflation from all the money printing, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, optimism is at its height. It's, it's also the best time to sell based on this information. I mean, this, this is stuff that we should probably be bringing into listing appointments. It says, the significant in- increase in the HPSI in March reflects consumer optimism toward the housing market and larger economy as vaccinations continue to roll out. A third round of stimulus checks was... This is what I don't understand. Why does stimulus checks even make it into this article? We're talking about like 1600 bucks. How yes. is that helping anyone? I was actually going to say the same yeah. thing. I don't understand why they're making such a big deal of stimulus checks. It's the stimulus checks $1,400. It's not helping. And listen, it, yeah, it's, does it help to get $1,400? Sure. You know, especially if you're in poverty. But it's not... That's it's not making any type of significant difference yeah. in anyone's life. I think printing money, I think adding to the money supply and bolst- that that gives people a little bit of optimism knowing that their house's value that they buy today might be worth more money in six months to a year. But the stimulus checks are helping Bitcoin. <laughs> yes, yes. I guarantee a lot of that yes. goes right into Bitcoin. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, 
Property taxes jumped 5.4% in 2020. I think this is what's going to be the governor. I think the new governor of real estate is going to be property taxes because everyone everyone got themselves into a bad a bad hole with this whole covid thing that i don't think it's i don't even think it's prices anymore i mean look at this conforming rates are going up they're making it very easy for people to buy houses i think the mm-hmm. only the affordability issue is going to be more tax weighted because that's a fixed payment than it even is for the the value of the home you agree uh, like i wouldn't be surprised if there's a million dollar house in the future with $50,000 in taxes well, the, ta- the taxes make no sense. It's some someone has to get that under control. I mean, there's, there's a, it it makes no sense, especially like based on different locations within Nassau County alone. Um, I mean, I was in a house the other day. It's a two million dollar house in it was Upper Old Brookville. Had taxes thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, my house has taxes thirty thousand. Had like had that makes no sense. No. And that's on two acres. It's you know it's got. Whatever, seven thousand square foot house. It's it's crazy. And that's after the reassessment. After, but there was something in the Wall Street Journal this weekend. Uh, the state legislature passed a. I'm not sure if they passed or agreed upon. They're hoping to pass though, or get get to get Governor Cuomo to sign it into law. Uh, all the new constructions will now be eligible for some type of eight year phase in. Uh, in the fall, so all these new constructions, new renovations that were excluded going forward. No, I think it's all the ones that weren't. If it's going forward, then it's like, then you're really just fucking anyone who bought or renovated their house in 2000, between 2018 and 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like that, those two years of people, just based on the timing of it, you're going to screw. Would you, would you be surprised though? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Four major emerging real estate trends. Um, Real estate continues to attract capital. Low interest rates are fueling interest in real estate across the globe. Most industry leaders interviewed for this report believe the inherent attraction of real estate income is even stronger this year than pre-COVID times. According to the ULI report, favorable supply-demand dynamics have led investors to increase their allocation to residential markets, a trend that has only been accelerated by the COVID-19 outbreak, the the report notes. Now... This is interesting because it's saying that there's a lot of institutional investors that are investing in residential real estate. I find that that's a nation that's a nationwide statistic. Yes, I don't think I don't think that's a statistic that that bears weight on Long Island. So on Long Island, it doesn't make sense because the t- again taxes are so high. Yes. So they're they're buying they're investing in real estate. Where from a business perspective, there's a big return on the investment. It makes sense. You have lower taxes. On Long Island, with the taxes as high as they are, I mean, if you have a $30 million fund to go invest and buy houses, right, you could go somewhere, uh, I don't know, you know, what the average price is $300,000 for a house, and you could buy, I'll probably do the math wrong, but 90 houses, right? Or you can come to Long Island, where the average price points, you know, depending on what you want to do, but five hundred thousand, and you could buy sixty houses with much higher taxes. I think the other thing that's important in that in that it is the the rent laws don't favor tenants the way they do in New York. Yes, elsewhere, and I think that anyone who's making a thirty million dollar bet or inst- you know a big bet with institutional money is not doing it where the law doesn't favor them in the event that they have someone who's not paying. But that, but then again, the forbearance thing is a national thing right now. So right. even if you're in a state that, that favors the tenant, 
But, but I mean, I'm sorry, the, the landlord, you're still in a situation where you can't really do much about yeah, it. Yeah, but they they look at they look at factors like um like population shifts in population, right? So you're in New York State, it's a it's a net loss population on average per year, mm-hmm. right? They, they're probably investing in areas where you're seeing the population growing, you're seeing uh, new business openings grow, right? That, that's they, they do their research. That's where they're investing. Long Island, you're just not seeing that right now. Yeah. Long Island, you're seeing people leaving. Yep. Yep. Uh, second, unknowns loom for the office sector. The office sector, however, is more difficult for real estate leaders to predict. The rise of remote working and increased concern for the health and well-being of employees and le- uh, and le- lessening appeal of long commutes in big cities could negatively impact leasing activity this year and next year. Many large firms could delay corporate decisions on office space or commit to a greater reliance on remote working. Many real estate leaders do predict employees will eventually return to the office, even if in uh, more of a hybrid working model. On an area of uh, on, on an area of growth for the office sector, flexible space, uh, industry leaders predict a polarization between perceived high-quality buildings, modern and adaptable, and outdated and flexibility, and inflexible secondary uh, stock that is likely to suffer from the market decline in demand. So, what do you think the future of office space is? It, it's. I think both employers and employees are going to want to be in offices. It's you're going to need the office space right now uh, because of the pandemic. It's fine, but but over time. So, from an employer perspective, over time, most employees are going to just get a little bit lazier, a little bit more lackadaisical, take take more advantage, right? And they're slowly going to start to to fade in their productivity. So you're going to want them in the office. And and it's just better to have them in the office. Also, it's right now it's night, it's a nice break for people that have to commute or people that were stuck in the office. But most people and I know you feel this way like imagine you had to work from home every day. I couldn't do it. Like your home and your place of work were the same. It's nice to be able to get dressed in the morning and go to the office. And then when you get home, even though cell phones kind of ruin this, when you get home, you're home. I think, so uh, it may be, the work from home thing is definitely a fad. It's probably, the hybrid model is probably next because I think both employees and employers are gonna wanna get back into the office or have the option of going back into the office. Mm-hmm. But listen, if an employee wants to be there, it doesn't matter if they wanna be there just one day a week or if an employer wants them there just one day a week. For that one day a week, you need the office space. You know what I think might stop that? What? Is the legality of forcing employees to go back to an office that employee gets sick that employee dies of covid how does that affect the the whole situation like sales meetings right sales meetings are big things right can you pack a sales force of 200 people into a room and risk that one of those 200 people has covid spreads it to everybody else and then let's say five people out of that 200 have some kind of serious long-term medical condition as a result of getting COVID. Let's say they got it, they got a heavy viral load, right? They were sick and there's no laws mm-hmm. protecting the company in that position. Do the companies then even go back to the office? I don't think companies are going to force it. They don't have to force it. It's going to happen naturally because what's going to naturally happen is the people who are coming in, are going to they're going to over time in the long run they're going to get promoted 
they're going to do more work. You know, mm. the people that come into the office are going to advance. You and sure about the people that, that with how soft corporate America is these it only, days? Listen, it only lasts for so long because right now everyone can afford to do these things. Once businesses start becoming not profitable mm. and they have to turn a profit, it's it's going to get back to, listen, we're either closing up shop or you allow us to do this. And if, if the government doesn't allow them because of the lawsuits, guess no, what? They'll they, just go out of business and those employees will lose their job anyway. And then the next job, they'll say, all right, you know what? If I have the choice of losing my job because you can't maintain a business or going into work, they'll say, I'm just going to go into work. It, it only works until it doesn't. I guess. I don't know. I think I think the whole legality piece is going to be. I think you're going to see once people start forcing employees to go back, or or recommending employees go back without mu- so much as saying it, but making people feel like they have to go back, you're going to start to see lawsuits. And then the companies will close, right? So then the employee, right? So then the employee that doesn't want to go to work because they want to stay home because they're afraid of COVID, which is fine, it's totally legitimate, right? But they sue because they can't go to work. If they work for a small business and they sue, that small business might go out of business, right? Mm-hmm. So that now they're not going to have a job. So now they go hire a new small business. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens, right? They sue again. So eventually they're going to have to just go back to work. And then you have these big companies like the Amazons and stuff. They'll just figure out a way like, all right, you're going to sue me, but we want people in the office. That's the way it's going to be. We'll, like, we'll send someone to Washington to lobby. And, and that'll be that. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't see it. I think the hybrid thing is going to is gonna happen. It's going to be a hybrid model. But what you'll naturally see is the people that are coming in, I, I honestly believe, are going to do better and, and get the advancements and get the promotions. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Over time. Because then it's going to be, you know how the world is. There's going to be the people who don't go to work. Because, oh, you're, you're, you're promoting the person who shows up at the office over the person who stays home because the person who stays home is afraid to go to the office. That's the right. world That's the world we live in today. Right. And then eventually right? the company will go, okay, listen, if we're going to have to pay out all these lawsuits, we're not going to be able to stay in business. And they're going to go out of business and people are going to be unemployed and they're going to realize I have no choice. Economics is going to take over at some point. At some point, just people needing to live and make money that. is going to take over. The almighty dollar will prevail. Yeah, it's... I hear you. I agree. All right, that is that is one hour. That is one hour, my man. Might not be a bad time to lease some office space. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. We are the Pension Lands Auto Team, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Uh, give us a call at 516-888-9711 if you're looking to buy, sell, or rent real estate. Uh, I got nothing else to say. I'll see you next week, Mike. Anything? Uh, no, that's it. See you guys next week. See you next week.